Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Utah Film Pod. My name is Josh Terry. I will be your host, and I am joined by Mark LaRocco. And both of us, and hopefully all of you, survived the big snowstorm, or the most recent snowstorm. And uh, speaking of snow, we got a new movie to talk about this week. Uh, you know what I'm going to talk about, Mark? Are you excited for this one? Yeah. Have you been waiting to hear about I, this one? I'm so curious to hear what you thought of it, because... I mean, just the title can make you laugh. Yes, yes. Cocaine Bear is finally out and available and uh, ready ready to be seen I mean, by curious, bewildered audiences all around the nation. I think you just some people, it, sometimes you hear a movie title and you're like, say no more. I thought about the same thing when I heard of <laughs> Snakes on a Plane. Right? Yeah, yeah. I think that there is a now. I did not actually see snakes on a plane. I should probably admit that. I, I didn't. Either. I don't know if admit is the right. Maybe maybe I should take pride in the fact <laughs> that I haven't seen snakes on a plane. But I do think that I know enough about snakes on a plane to say that this movie, Cocaine Bear, has a certain kinship with that one, almost to the point where. And I was thinking about this this afternoon. I don't even know if there's any point in reviewing this movie in a in a traditional evaluative way. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like trying to evaluate it by, ba- by by common mainstream criteria. Like it almost seems like it defies that kind of analysis. Mm-hmm. Because it's a movie about a bear that's high on cocaine. So what do you make of that? Like, how do you even, because I've got some criticisms. I've definitely got some, some things to say, but it just kind of is what it is. Yeah. And so, so we're going to talk about it, but man, I don't even know if I could even give this like traditional stars, like a star rating, you know, because, because they're not trying to impress anybody. Okay. Anyway, anyway. I mean, here, let me think about it this way. Let me put it this way. I remember Roger Ebert saying, multiple times a movie is not what it's about it's how it's about so if people simply just judge movies by their content like well what what is this movie what's the story of this movie or what is it about that never really tells the story of what a movie it's about for example cocaine bear you could make a straight up <laughs> horror film right with no I just comedy love that you said for example cocaine well, bear well, here- is like a real sentence it's just <laughs> Funny. It's funny. Go ahead. I mean, I was thinking, like, you could make it as a straight-up horror film with no comedy. You could make Uh it as a campy, goofy artifact that just meant to have, you know, funny, gory deaths or whatever and a lot of humor in it. You could make it quite dramatic. I mean, there's a lot of ways you could make the movie. I I haven't seen Mm -hmm. it, obviously, so, you know, you can talk about it. But I I think I might have an idea of what kind of movie it is. (laughs) Um, but let's just hear it. I mean, go for it. So, okay, let me let me see if I can wrap my mind and wrap some words around this movie. I guess the first thing that I would say, and that maybe this defies your your previous comment a little bit, okay. but I would say in general that Cocaine Bear is exactly the kind of movie you would expect a movie with that title to be. Mm-hmm. Like because you can go in different directions. But a movie called Cocaine Bear, you can start to make some assumptions. There's an absurdity to it. Mm-hmm. 
that kind of gives, and that's why I say like it feels like it has a kinship to snakes on a plane. Yeah, this is meant to be a bizarre, over the top, wacky movie. Yeah, and it is almost to the point where I say, I don't. It it, it doesn't. It kind of defies normal criticism. Because to criticize it would be to assume that they were going for something good, <laughs> if that makes sense, right? Um, so, the plot. Now, now this is technically, they, they say this is inspired by a true story. It's not based on a true story. It's inspired by. And so, there are roots of reality behind this where apparently there was an incident involving a bear and some cocaine that was dumped out over the, uh, I think it's called Blood Mountain in Tennessee, uh, like a national forest area. But the premise is that a drug trafficker is flying a small, uh, you know, like a prop plane over, you know, the, the forested area of Tennessee. And because of some unstated emergency, has to drop... Uh, several uh, duffel bags full of uh, cocaine out over, you know, just chucks them out of the plane. Um, It's kind of a crazy sequence, as you might expect. And what happens is a lot of this gets dumped out over. And like I said, I I believe the area is called Blood Mountain, which is a uh, uh, kind of recreational kind of a national forest area in in rural, uh, you know, wilderness Tennessee. And that's where a black bear uh, gets a hold of it and becomes quite, uh, I guess they're trying to suggest that the bear gets addicted to it and goes crazy and just starts killing all kinds of people in the area. Um, hikers and and uh, forest ranger people and uh, various people. Like there's, the cast is kind of a grab bag of random characters that just find themselves in the area for whatever reason. Um, there are a couple of kids who want to go uh, on a nature hike to a waterfall in the area. And then when the mom discovers what's going on, uh, the mom is Carrie Russell. And so she takes off after them. So that's, that's kind of one plot. Uh, then there are the people who are connected to the cocaine that was lost, like the drug dealers who come to the area to see if they can find and recover the uh you know all the drugs and then there like i say there's a there's a park ranger uh played by margo martindale um just kind of a handful of different people uh now the main drug dealer guy is ray liotta and this is his last role before he passed away Mm -hmm. so i guess you can interpret as you will that this was the last movie that ray liotta did it's really kind of just this chaotic you know they're following the threads of these different people as they encounter the bear and try to escape from the bear. And as you might imagine, most of the people who encounter the bear are met with uh, uh, less than desirable results, I guess. (laughs) Um, Maybe desirable results for the audience because uh, this is, this is definitely kind of played up as a, as a comedy slash horror movie Mm -hmm. where you know, they, they, I mean, it's not a traditional, it's, it's more heavily leaning on comedy than horror, but it's definitely kind of, you know, 
grisly and and they do have kind of some jump scare type stuff and there's effort to build up tension um and after you know for a little while at the beginning i thought they were actually being a little discreet with a lot of the violence but as it goes even the violence becomes really really over the top and crazy as the bear attacks uh you know certain characters and there's there's one sequence with an ambulance that's trying to flee the area that that really just kind of sends the whole thing over the top and and for those of you who do decide to go and uh, check out Cocaine Bear, uh, that'll that'll probably be the 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 part the sequence of the movie you'll re- you'll mer- uh, remember the most. So so Elizabeth Banks directed um, the I mean most of us you know know her best for for her acting performances in various movies. Uh, she's also directed several movies in more recent years. Like uh, I know she did. Uh, I can't remember if she did all the Pitch Perfect movies, but I know that she directed at least the last one or two of them. And then she also directed that uh, the Charlie's Angels reboot from a couple of years ago. Um, I haven't been really, really high on her work. No pun intended. Maybe I should just say <laughs> there's going to be a lot of opportunity for anyway. Um, so I was kind of a little apprehensive about this one. And what I can say is that it is very funny. There's there's a lot of wackiness. There's a lot of they're they're definitely you know taking advantage of the opportunity to just do some weird crazy stuff i mean you're, you're not going to see a lot of movies like this this year certainly not you know showcased in uh, in the local multiplex for a wide audience um this is this is definitely it definitely feels like it has the potential to be and probably is aspiring to be a cult movie if that if that's a good way to put it and that's why i say it's hard to give it like a thumbs up thumbs down star rating type of thing because it's not trying to be normal it very much wants to be crazy and zany and kind of defy what you normally expect from these kind of movies and i think the idea here is that this, you know, wh- whatever real life this was based on was so crazy that any movie version of it is going to echo the same kind of sentiments. Um, so, Mark, does that help you understand Cocaine Bear at all? Yeah. I mean, I guess what I want to know is, did did you enjoy it? Like, did you enjoy your time and, like, did you like it? More yes than no. Okay. Like, I wasn't... I wasn't thrilled by it. I, it's not the kind of thing that I would rush out to go see again. And and given the opportunity to purchase it for my collection, I don't know if I would quite go that far. But it's definitely very funny. Mm. Um, there there are some really great moments. Um, some, and I guess I guess that's where I would try to criticize it a little bit because comedies all have their own kind of unique style, right? There are. Every, everybody's everybody's version of comedy is a little different and and some of the execution of the comedy in this movie I didn't like very much like the best way I could describe it is that I think sometimes it's important to let comedic situations speak for themselves and just play out as opposed to having the characters talk about what is crazy and what is funny does that make sense mm-hmm. It's it's like 
it's like show don't tell. You've heard that expression, right? I mean, I, I, I give this to my students all the time. You know, you don't want to talk down to the audience. And sometimes you'll notice that characters will say things that don't need to be said and that almost distract from kind of the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the natural rhythm of what's happening. And I kind of feel like the comedy sometimes in this movie is a little too spoon fed where the characters just kind of need to shut up and react to the moment instead of trying too hard. It, it, sometimes it feels like it's trying too hard. That's mm-hmm. maybe that's a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, but, but that's not a serious, it's, it's not a, a deal breaking criticism. It's just that, you know, if I can find a way to kind of analyze and pick apart things with a movie like this, that's one of the things that comes to mind. But again, I don't think anybody's going to go to the movie and react this way. Like, I think people will generally enjoy it if it's if you're okay with the gore and, you know, and there's there's some it's there's definitely some scattered R-rated profanity. Um, There's no real sexual content or anything like that. Uh, And so if so, if you're okay going to the to that kind of movie, I think you're going to enjoy what you find because it's exactly what it wants to be. Mm-hmm. I just think that, uh, well, you know, there are things you could have done better. And if you wanted to make it like an all time crazy over the top movie, you might've done some things differently, but it's still pretty fun for what it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that, yeah. does that clarify it at all? Yeah. It sounds like you, you enjoyed it for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. and it was probably mostly what you would have expected. Right. Right. Yeah. And that's that's why I say like nobody who pays money and goes to the theater to see cocaine bear is going to be surprised by what they what they find. Yeah. Yeah. The bear is stuffed and you can visit the bear um, today and it's called hey. Pablo Escobar. They apparently have a little <laughs> sign that they've named the bear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess I guess maybe that was another thing that I felt like they could have executed a little bit better was that the idea. And again, this is one of those things where the characters keep saying stuff. They keep saying, why is that bear behaving so strange? What's wrong with that bear? Like they that that line is repeated like a dozen times through the movie. But honestly, the bear doesn't really behave differently than you would expect an angry, violent, dangerous bear to behave, mm-hmm. right? Because, you know, bears are pretty dangerous animals. And I don't know if it's just that we think that we're all too used to Yogi Bear and everybody, but like, it didn't seem to me like it was behaving like it was abnormal and high on cocaine. Like really, maybe the the sequence with the, with the ambulance gets a little more dramatic than the others. But, you know, so maybe maybe those would be the things that I would criticize. But like I said, in this case, it kind of feels beyond the point to criticize it. Mm-hmm. I think it aspires to be a cult movie. I think it obviously it, it knows that its subject matter is over the top. And so it's going to try to have a lot of fun with it. Like I say, you almost get the sense that they were just kind of going for, well, we're just going to make this one of those kind of weird, you know, niche movies that that just becomes kind of a cult hit. And mm-hmm. then people, oh, yeah, have you seen Cocaine Bear? You know? Yeah. Not going to make big, big money at the box office because it's just not really meant to. But uh, yeah, so it, it kind of got me thinking about cult movies. And, and one of the things that got me thinking about specifically that, that maybe we can, you know, I'd, I'd like to get your input on this is 
can it be a cult movie if it intends to be a cult movie? Like if it sets out to be a cult movie, or is it is is the cult movie status something that also almost has to happen by accident or organically? You know what I mean? Um, I think there are movies that were intended to be cult movies that yeah are still considered like cult movies. Like, have you ever seen Attack of the Killer Tomatoes? Good, yeah, good example. You know, I think that one right. was kind of meant to be just a strange B movie that was was intended to be a cult movie but i mean how do you define it do you want me to kind of give you some definitions of cult movies yeah, or cult so, films so people right know what so you mentioned about? that you'd looked up yeah so yeah. so let me let me tell you kind of what my general idea is first okay. and then you can compare that to the all-knowing internet and <laughs> what uh what those those exciting tubes of information told you um my I think the basic idea is that a cult movie is a movie that is going to be extremely popular with a small, small audience. Mm -hmm. Like it's not going to have widespread mainstream success, hence the term cult, right? It's going to be, this is going to be a movie that is going to be very adored and appreciated by a small, narrow sliver of an audience that's just especially devoted, mm-hmm. right? And so there's there's kind of like this cult like adoration around it. Um, that's that's how I would take it, just by by a definition of terms, because a lot of the movies that I think of as cult movies aren't necessarily in that category. Yeah, that's but, that, uh, that's the hard. But what did what did you find? Well, that's the hard thing for me because it seems like some of the definitions I read would omit any movie that's successful. That's like a box office success or that does well. Um, Right. But sometimes like you could have a very, very small movie, like a very low budget movie that still does relatively well, um, you know, in compared to what it costs to make. But it's still not going to be an all time blockbuster. Um, Mm -hmm. But so here here are some definitions. Um, A cult film or cult movie, also commonly referred to as a cult classic, is a film that has acquired a cult following. Cult films are known for their dedicated, passionate fan base, which forms an elaborate subculture, members of which engage in repeated viewings, dialogue quoting, and audience participation. Um, Another thing is, it says it could be an obscure or unpopular film with mainstream audiences and often revolutionary or ironically enjoyed Sometimes the definition is expanded to exclude films that have been released by major studios or have big budgets, try specifically to become cult films or become accepted by mainstream audiences and critics. Mm -hmm. Um, One more. Cult films have a pretty standard definition. They're movies that are often transgressive, marginal, disasters on first release, or drawn from genres such as horror, science fiction, and exploitation and which have attracted an exceptionally devoted and vociferous fan base. Um, so, th- I mean, those are a few, right, that are mm-hmm. uh, definitions that could include something. So maybe there's a transgressive element. Like you said, there's a small but passionate, you know, devoted fan base to a film. Right. There's a debate on whether you said it could include a film that was really intended to be a, um, a cult film or a cult classic. Mm-hmm. And then also, you know, exploitation, you know, and I, I think that many, many cult films or cult classics are exploitive or 
they might have just excessive violence or excessive sex or whatever, you know, to, to be part of that. And that may also explain why yeah. there would never be a wide stream appeal to a movie that just has really dark or, you know, transgressive elements to it or is too subversive, you know, for right. mainstream. Um, so, yeah, there's a few kind of, I guess, working definitions there. Um, and, and it was hard for me to think of too many of these movies since the movies that kept coming to mind, I think, were at least they were successful, at least to a degree that, yeah. you know, it's hard for them to really maybe fall into that cult classic or cult film category. Um, yeah. No, and it's it, it obviously has, you know, because I, I noticed that in two of those definitions you mentioned it, it said kind of what I did was that, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a devoted following. But then it also talks about just being kind of from obscure genres that just aren't as well known or like you say, kind of transgressive for whatever reason. Um, did any of them say anything about the idea that, you know, maybe it wasn't successful initially, but then kind of grew in popularity later Would mm-hmm. that, would that fall into the category? Cause I'm thinking about the thing, right? Yeah. The, the, the Carpenter one where, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember reading reviews of that and, and they just kind of panned it because they just thought it was too disgusting and that the, the, the monster effects were too over the top. But now, you know, I mean, you, you, you look up the thing on, on YouTube or, or other places and people adore it. You know, it's, it's a, but I don't know if I would, if that would make it a cult film or if that is just means that it's a movie that was before it's time, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. to comment on, you know, the other, the other point you were making, like one of the, I guess one of the things that makes me a little hesitant to fully endorse cocaine bear is that it's like i said it it almost seems to want to be a cult movie in some ways in the way that i think of sharknado Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. like i have a tough time thinking of of sharknado as as a pure cult movie because there's nothing accidental or sincere about it like that movie and it all of its many many sequels was made to be bad good you know what i mean well, as so, opposed as opposed to something like yeah. like Plan Nine from Outer Space, exactly, which was just a, a showcase of incompetence, right? Like this is a movie that the guy was trying to do the best thing he could, the best he knew how, but it was just so inept that it became adorable in the process. And that, and as, yeah. whereas Sharknado, it's like they're going for this is going to be as dumb as humanly possible. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because when I was reading. Um, so bad it's good in quotes was used to describe plan nine from outer space which um i I think i mentioned you one time i watched plan nine from outer space and citizen kane in the same night and you did tell me that because plan nine from outer space is is considered by many to be the worst film ever made which was made by Uh ed wood who was the subject of a movie later made by uh tim burton uh, starring johnny depp as ed wood anyway and he was He's kind of known to be just this goofy. I mean, he was he was sincere, but he was a guy that just made so many movies that were considered just bad films, like bad B movies. But they're so bad it's good, enjoyable films because they're right. they're funny. You know, they're uh, there are movies that are so bad that are just unintentionally funny with special effects that are you can almost see the strings above the spaceships kind of special right. effects. You know, right. um, and. <laughs> And, you know, he'll, he'll ha- inexplicably have a, a new actor play the same character for, for the, end, the last part of a movie, you know, things like that. Um, 
but yeah, that so bad it's good is is part of a definition of of cult films where I think the room is like that. I haven't seen the room, but I've heard that oh, people right. there's audience participation and there's just lines of dialogue that are so clunky and 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 stupid that they elicit laughter every time. Um, uh-huh. but, Troll two. Okay, I've heard of that one too. I haven't seen that yeah. one. But yeah. but what you mentioned a little earlier is like, could it be a cult film if it actually really genuinely did become popular, just maybe not upon first release? And, you know, some people will say that cult films have since, and this is also part of a definition, become well-respected or reassessed as classics. There is debate as to whether these popular and accepted films are still cult films. After failing at the cinema, some cult films have become regular fixtures on cable television or profitable sellers on home video. So maybe there's a film that maybe could have been a cult film if it hadn't become so popular on... Like, like for example... You're saying it lost its street cred. Maybe. I mean, so... <laughs> and this may not be a good example because it's actually a very serious, good drama. It's not a bad movie by uh-huh. any sense, but... Um, you know, Shawshank Redemption did not do well in the theaters. That, yeah, yeah right, it, it did. Right. It like bombed in the theaters, and then somehow, thanks to home video, it gained second life. It gained a new life and yeah. became one of the most popular rentals, you know, and purchases of all time. Um, see, I think I think that a movie could not be. I mean, I don't want to put a lot of rules on it, but I think one rule should be that it can't be a cult movie if it's shown more than X number of times on cable. <laughs> You know, <laughs> yeah. like if it if it becomes part of a regular rotation, they they're doing that because they know that a lot of people want to see it, right. which seems to kind of defy the idea. Because, yeah, you're I think I think Shawshank is a great example of a movie that grew in its appreciation over time. Mm-hmm. But but I don't know that I would say it has a a passionate, devoted fan base so much as just a lot of people like it. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, it, it was like the number one on IMDb for a long time. And I also think, I think it had seven Oscar nominations. You know, I, I feel like multiple oh, yeah. Oscar nominations should maybe... Uh, that might kick, disqualify Yeah, it well. might disqualify a film <laughs> cult status. Maybe one. Right. Maybe we'll give you one, but not like seven. I don't know. <laughs> it's, I mean, it sounds like you didn't have a lot of cult films that you... Well, I, I have a few. Yourself. I mean, I have a few that I'll mention that we can even debate, and maybe you'll say, "No, that's not that's not a cool film." <laughs> but and, but I, and I also made sure to pick ones that I like too. So not I'm I'm not just okay. like going and saying, "Well, this is a great cult classic I've heard," or I've been told this is a great <laughs> one, but I I don't like it. You know, like The Big Lebowski. That one is I, I think that has okay. a very passionate fan base, but I'm just yeah. not a fan. But I think that probably is a cult film. A cult yeah, classic. I agree. I um, agree. But uh, I mean, there are people that have like bowling tournaments based on it, you know, mm-hmm. and and can quote all the lines from it and live by the dude's philosophy of life and all that. So um, one of them I I would like to mention is Office Space. Um, oh, great one! Yeah, that's a movie yeah. that I don't think it did really well in the theaters, but. Mm-hmm. Um, Lots of people have seen it. It's very quotable. And it kind of helped. I don't know. It was kind of a way, sort of like an in-joke that, that we all had about work, about the, yeah. the, the, the crappy things you have to deal with at work. You know, of course, exaggerated mm-hmm. to the nth degree in that movie. Um, and uh, just the way that the middle managers are, uh, act. And 
the you know the stapler guy and the way they treat the printer uh, uh, I mean there's a lot of just funny things in that movie and and maybe that's also one of my definitions it's like it's hard for me to find a cult film or a cult classic that doesn't at least have some humor in it um, you know right I intentional or not right intentional or not like if, if a movie is just not funny at all it would be you know I, I it's probably not on my list you know if, as a cult yeah as a cult movie well, and maybe maybe that's another way to think of it is that cult movies are fun, mm-hmm. you know, like not necessarily that they are comedies, like they're the kind of movies that you would want to get a group of friends together to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not, you know, serious, ponderous cinema like you would never you would never use the word cinema to describe a cult film. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably right? true. <laughs> No, I, uh, Office Space is a great one. That one, I always, I always love his line early on when uh, the main character is uh, he's getting interviewed by the because they're they're doing some kind of an audit type thing at the mm-hmm. office, right? Where they got the rigging in like the outside consultants to come and evaluate who's going to be let go. Yeah. Or, yeah, right, right, and uh, and he's he's already you know the lead characters are kind of already in kickback mode, and he's he goes, he's like. Bob, you know, it's, it's not that I'm lazy. It's just that I don't care. <laughs> I, just, yeah. I just always, I actually have a fridge magnet with that line on it. <laughs> that was a, that was a good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's another one that you mentioned in a few episodes ago. It might've been talking about 1980, 81, 82 was the gods must be crazy. Oh yeah. I think that yeah. one is kind of a cult classic. Um, right. I remember hearing about that movie at a very young age and how, and my dad just laughing about it and it being a movie that was not, I bet it wasn't widely released maybe, but I, I just don't get the feeling that it was. And a lot of people saw, you know, over time and, um, it's just there, it's unique. There's really not another movie like it. Right. Um, so yeah, I, and again, I don't know if there's like a passionate, devoted, vociferous fan base. So maybe it's not a cult movie, but it's closer than, you know, maybe a movie that's like just way too widely popular. Because like, for example, I wanted to include The Princess Bride in this, but I think it was a hit. Everyone saw it. it just, I just remember that movie being quoted throughout my entire childhood for years. Oh, yeah. That was like yeah. the number one most quoted movie, probably until Napoleon Dynamite. Um, mm-hmm. which maybe, you know, it also could be, but it was a hit. I mean, that made, that cost almost nothing to make and made about 45 million. So again, I don't know if that's a cult movie. Um, I don't know. What were some of the ones that you had? Um, you know, believe it or not, I, I, I was thinking about, uh, bringing up gods must be crazy, oh. which just like you say that, that really, I mean, you would have to describe a lot of its humor as slapstick but it still seems like a unique kind of slapstick that I don't see. Like even at the time, mm-hmm. it just seemed to stand apart. Um, and really, with some really talented physical comedy, you might you might remember there's a scene, probably about two thirds, three quarters of the way through. And this isn't any kind of a spoiler thing for anybody because we we totally. It sounds like both of us totally would recommend that people check this out. Um, but there's a scene where the main character is he's kind of a stumble bum and he's trying he's like knocking over a table with all of these jars and and uh and like uh 
water jugs and different things. And he keeps trying to like put the things back on the table, but everything keeps falling off. And what he's doing is so skilled because he kind of has to keep the chaos going. Mm -hmm. It's dependent on his performance and his acting. And I don't know, maybe you just kind of have to see it to appreciate it. But, but there's some real, there's some real great stuff going on in that movie. And, and so I don't know, I mean, maybe, maybe aside from like, if there, if there's not a devoted fan base, like that's going to have conventions and dress up, maybe it still has to be something that feels like an in, not, not an inside joke, but almost kind of a, like an inside reference, mm-hmm. right? Like, like if you've seen Gods Must Be Crazy, you're in the know because not many people have seen this and would, would understand this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's what makes a movie like Napoleon Dynamite so interesting because I almost feel like if Napoleon Dynamite had come out when we were kids, it probably would have been more of a pure uh, cult movie because when it came out, when it did, it's... You know, it, honestly, it makes me wonder if you can have a pure cult movie in the Internet era because mm-hmm. that, you know, something gets so publicized and so shared and gets such a kind of a broad exposure that, I mean, I, I, I get the feeling that Napoleon Dynamite would have been a lot more like like Better Off Dead or, or you know, Gods Must Be Crazy if it had come out in the 80s as opposed to, you know, coming out, well, crap i guess it was almost 20 years ago now yeah yeah Yeah. no but uh some of the other ones i was thinking about now okay so maybe to kind of defy my own my own comment one of the more recent ones that i i wondered if it might uh, apply would be a swiss army man from about i think it was 2016 Mm -hmm. when it came out um this is this is one that i will never forget seeing because i i saw it at sundance i saw it at the uh, the theater down at uh, salt lake community college at the uh, South City campus, and the audience was totally. In fact, what was really funny about this one was that I did not attend the premiere screening, but I read about the premiere screening before I went to see it myself, and I guess it totally bombed at its first showing. And they oh. said a lot of people were walking out, and they thought it was r- ridiculous and disgusting and stupid. And so I was a little bit apprehensive to go see it, but I guess I was just in there with more zany kindred spirits because we ate it up. We thought it was hilarious and so much fun. I mean, the it's it's a buddy comedy where one of the buddies is dead. And and so so Paul Dano is alive and he's like stranded on an island and suicidal and right as he's about to kill himself. Daniel Radcliffe's body washes up on the beach and the most concise absurd way of putting it is that Daniel realizes that he can survive and get off the island by using Radcliffe's body as like a human Swiss army knife and that makes no sense at all because like I don't know I so I mean he he gets off the island by using the body as kind of a weird jet ski because mm-hmm. it's flatulent because yeah. I guess dead bodies can be flatulent mm-hmm. and so he literally uses the body's farts to propel him <laughs> off the island that's Swiss army man right and it, and it goes on from there so 
very much not a widespread success. Mm-hmm. Although uh, apparently the directors have gone on to Oscar nominated success now because they're the guys who did everything everywhere all at once, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So, so that one, uh, I've I've mentioned Ruben and Ed before. Um, have you seen Ruben and Ed? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, would you think of that as a cult film? Yeah. I. I mean, I don't. I don't. I guess it has some. You know some devotees but i i my friend mike jones introduced it to me as as a as an interesting uh movie from i don't know if it was the late 80s maybe so, yeah it was like around around 1990 okay somewhere around there. um and uh it's quite funny um yeah a really unusual movie funny dream sequences and i think it was crispin glover who was in it right yep. is he the main guy okay yeah. from back to the future yeah. He plays, um, he plays Ruben, um, and he's kind of this shut-in, antisocial, just kind of a weird, weird guy. And his mom tells him to get out of the house and go make a friend. And so he winds up going to what turns out to be, in, in reality the plaza in front of the federal building in downtown Salt Lake City, because that's where it was filmed. Mm-hmm. They act- he actually meets Ed, who's played by Howard Hessman. If you've watched, if you ever watched WKRP, uh, the old uh, uh, sitcom from the kind of late 70s, early 80s, Howard Hessman plays Dr. Johnny Fever, and Howard Hessman is the Ed, and he is uh, basically a multi-level marketing Oh yeah, aspiring. You know, the, so he's out looking for the, the power of positive real customers. estate. Yeah, right, <laughs> yeah, I right. remember that. So, so these guys kind of meet up and realize that they can kind of fulfill each other's social needs in one, and 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 then they wind up driving out into the desert to bury to bury a frozen cat. So, uh-huh. you know, this is <laughs> there's there's definitely a through line with a lot of these these kind of movies which suggest that to describe their plots is almost beside the point um now one one that i thought of that was kind of a and here so here's another thing i i would almost say that evidence of a cult film is sequels like many many sequels that are potentially like direct to video so so um one that sprung to mind you ever see tremors mm I have seen parts of it. I haven't seen the whole thing, but yeah, oh, you need, you I need know to have enough. The full experience. Okay. No, it's a fun. It's a fun, fun movie. Um, it's a. It's kind of a monster movie throwback. Another one from you know, probably around 1990, give or take. Um, and Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward play these handymen who are out in this middle of nowhere dust bowl town in kind of remote. Uh, rural California or Nevada. Maybe it's Nevada. Anyway, they and their surrounding community are under siege by these underground kind of sandworm monsters. And it's fantastic. Like the, the movie is basically about them trying to get out of the valley and survive against these, these sandworm things. And I don't think it was particularly successful at the time. I think it was probably an underperforming movie. 
but just kind of caught on with people as time went on. And they've made like a half dozen sequels to this thing. Um, I don't think Kevin Bacon showed up in any of them. I think Fred Ward was in at least a couple. Michael Gross, the guy who was the dad in Family Ties back in the 80s, he's been, I think, in every one of them. But but that would I would see that very much as a as a cult cult film. Um, Trancers is another one that was kind of this obscure sci-fi movie from the the mid mid to late 1980s. Uh, this is one that I actually did see on cable, but it's not like a regular rotation film, and and I believe it's also had a number of a number of sequels. It was kind of a, it's kind of this time traveling sci-fi bounty hunter movie. Hmm. Um, the main the main actor is kind of one of those that guys that you recognize but you don't really know his name because you've seen him in random things, but he's, he never really kind of hit it big. But Helen Hunt plays his romantic sidekick in the first movie, and so she's kind of like the the, the first film's biggest claim to fame. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, so so some of those. Um, so, I think I might have talked about Eraserhead before. Or Freaks, oh yeah, I you know. I was gonna mention Eraserhead. I think that's a that's a pretty good pretty good embodiment of a cult film, cult classic. I yeah. think. Um, yeah. I mean, the Sandworms. You mentioned those from Tremors. I think the existence of Sandworms automatically makes it a cult film because you look at uh, Beetlejuice, there's Sandworms there and Dune. Oh, there you go. There you go. Dune, the old Dune, not the new Dune. Um, I, I think. Well, those, so yeah. Those, so do you think, so you think that the, uh, the David Lynch Dune qualifies as a, as a cult classic? The weird thing is there's people who like it and there's people who defend it. Maybe not <laughs> enough, maybe not enough, to, but that think that it's, it's it was like been reappraised i think it it was it was a total bomb like critically and everything you know when it came out it was like lynch's worst movie and all that and i think in in the years there's been people that have said hey it's it's better than than we gave it credit for and it's Mm -hmm. it's got some interesting you know worthy components to it but yeah anyway but yeah the sandworms just kind of made me think like (laughs) hmm any movie with sandworms. That's right. <laughs> I had I had forgotten that that there were sandworms in Beetlejuice. Uh-huh. Pretty that, I, so thank you for reminding <laughs> me of that. Yeah. Um, now technically there were sandworms in Star Wars mm. or at least in Empire Strikes Back or maybe I don't know. So the Sarlacc wouldn't be a sandworm in Return of the Jedi, but I think that the worm in the asteroid in Empire Strikes Back would be. Mm, okay. Yeah, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't think of that as a cult film. No. Um, <laughs> okay, so you mentioned. Yeah, you mentioned Eraserhead. Um, what about Idiocracy? Have you seen oh. that one? Um, I have not seen it all the way through, but I do think it, that it is notable that you have mentioned two movies from Mike Judge as cult films. Oh yeah. So maybe we should talk about Mike Judge. Yeah, Lynch, well, we mentioned two Lynch movies, too. Yeah, Mike Judge, who did Office Space, right? Right. And right. Uh, he's better known for TV, isn't he, than movies? Yes. Um, but, yeah, Idiocracy, the reason that I, I, one reason that I include that is I've heard enough people talk about it lovingly. And I, I mm-hmm. when I saw it, I just laughed my head off. 
I mean, it's it has some just really funny parts that have like led to continue inside jokes even to this day. And it completely bombed when it came out. It yeah. was like a shelled yeah. movie that was almost like the studio had no faith in it, so they didn't promote it really. Um, and then it found a little bit of a second life after it had been released in theaters. Um, I I'm actually just learning now that it made four hundred and ninety five thousand dollars. This is a movie thousand. from two thousand six. It made less than a half million dollars, and it was bad. Mike Judge who did Office Space. Yeah. Um, it has well, and Luke Wilson, we should, we should Maya mention, Rudolph. I mean, because yeah. you, you mentioned that he did TV. I mean, it, he did substantial TV. Like he was the guy behind Beavis and Butthead. He was the guy behind um, King of the Hill. Uh, King of the Hill. Mm-hmm. Like he's that's like you say. I mean, his he's had some serious success in television, but his movies almost kind of had to sneak up to success mm-hmm. in a way. They they took time. I'm not I'm not exactly sure why. I mean, they they're both. I mean, I guess I could say that both of the movies are odd enough that I could see them not appealing to a mainstream audience as much. And so maybe it just took time for them to find the right people to really kind of prop them up. Yeah. And, um, but uh, I agree. Like he did. He did. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that. He really did has all of his success in TV. I think. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. Office Space did did well, but um, I, there's a really funny clip of Mike Judge and Zach Galifianakis who who were on. Uh, I can't remember if it was Conan or you know Jimmy Fallon. I, I one of those shows where um, Mike Judge says something that makes Zach Galifianakis laugh harder than I've ever seen him laugh in oh, yeah. ever and it's just so funny to watch so that's that's one that's worth worth looking up because yeah. you don't you don't see him a lot you've heard his voice a lot and i think many people have heard mike judge's voice more than you realize but you don't really see him much um but yeah, yeah he created idiocracy and i mean the premise of idiocracy is just about a uh, few america like several hundred years into the future in in an America in which all of the dumb people have reproduced and all of the smart people have stopped reproducing for various reasons, you kind of find <laughs> out at the beginning of the movie. So we're now a population of total idiots through, you know, certain types of breeding and uh-huh. and um, and it's just people are so dumb. They're all addicted to TV. Some of them are barely they can barely string like normal English sentences together. Um, there's certain corporations that are um, way more popular than they should be. The most popular yeah. TV show is em- em- almost embarrassing to even talk about on this podcast. I mean, it's it's really funny though. And um, the president of the United States, uh, I think the word Mountain Dew is one of his middle names. If I remember right, <laughs> um, is Terry Crews, but it, yeah. you know, yeah, he like has great. a machine gun at his at. State of the Union address. I, I mean, he just—it's just really funny. It's got a uh, yeah, Luke Wilson. Well, it's, it's very Dak much. Shepherd. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much presented as a this is the direction we're going in. Yeah, right? it's 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 meant to be kind of a satirical, you know, look at this is this is the direction we're taking and this is what's going to happen if you know or or how far away are we really from this right now? Um. So I, I thought of one. How about this? You think Blade Runner counts? I mean, 
It's not funny, but I know that doesn't. That's not required, right? It's, it's that's that's why that's why I'm asking. Yeah, because... no, no, no. I think it does. I mean, because it's not it's yeah. not mandatory to be funny. That's just my own thing. But definitely, a cult classic can include any type of you know any genre of movie. I would say. Um, I think that yeah, there are some people that just worship that movie. They think it's like yeah. the one of the top, you know, sci-fi movies ever made. And right. Uh, again, it didn't it didn't do well on its release, mm-hmm. which was a little bit of a surprise since it had, you know, Han Solo slash Indiana Jones in the lead. Uh-huh. Um, but it's a pretty dark and slow, quite slow moving movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think it definitely qualifies as an influential movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe hugely so. But I, I'm kind of inclined to put it in the cult movie category because... Like you say, there are people who really seem to just really, really adore that movie. And then maybe as, as further evidence, I don't think the sequel did that well. The Blade Runner 2049 from, what, about four or five years ago? Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, it was good. I think it was it was reviewed well. But I don't think that it was really embraced by a, a very wide audience, which kind of suggests that it's still a little bit more... You know, I mean, because you could you could make criticisms of the movie itself. It's very, very deliberate, which is the word that we use when we don't want Movies to say slow. slow or boring. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I I'm I'm inclined to see that one as is more in the the cult category still. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see cult as a negative thing necessarily. I, I, it almost sounds like I'm making it a negative classification, but it almost feels like it can't be too too loved or it can't be too celebrated and still qualify you know honestly one of that i'm thinking about how about walter mitty yeah like how many people have you talked to who have seen walter mitty and did not like it i don't think i've met anybody everybody i've met has positive vibes about and yet not a huge box office success, right? Mm-hmm. It under. I know it wasn't a big critical success, but everybody, I don't know. I, I would love to think that ten years from now, the world will embrace Walter Mitty, mm-hmm. but who knows? Yeah. Do we? We talked about Joe versus the volcano recently, didn't we? Yeah, and I have not fulfilled my assignment yet. But yes, we oh. did. We talked about it in the Tom Cruise draft. Or Tom Hanks. Um, Tom, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> one, of, one of the Toms. Holland, Hardy, Hanks, Cruz. One of them, one of them Tom yeah. guys. One of them. One of them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because I think, I think Joe versus the Volcano, that's, that's another one where it seems like whenever I, and maybe it's just because, you know, like the other day I, I got on YouTube and punched in Joe versus the Volcano review and brought in a few that, People just, you know, really seem to, some people really seem to really enjoy that movie and really adore it. Um, not Gene Siskel, as I recall, because I think I saw a clip where he and Ebert reviewed it and Ebert loved it. And Siskel ag- acknowledged that there were some good things, but he thought the pacing was bad. Yeah. So, I don't think it didn't, it didn't do too well in the theater, correct? No, okay. No. So yeah, like no, it was, it a... was definitely kind of in the flop category. Which yeah. is which is part of why I think that, you know, I don't think I mean, when people think about Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, it's you've got mail, it's sleepless in Seattle. And 
And I know this because this is this is one of those things I've tortured my students with. Like I'll give them a trivia question and I'll say, "What was the first movie that Tom Hanks and Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan starred together in?" Oh. Um, my my English composition classes, by the way, because you know that's the kind of thing you need to know to be successful with English composition. Uh, but no, <laughs> most of, most of them haven't heard of Joe versus the volcano. So I'm I'm doing my part to spread the spread the word. Hey, Roadhouse. Roadhouse. How about Roadhouse? I've not that's seen that one. one. But, I've yeah. only seen what did I see it on? I think I saw it on cable a little while ago. It's uh, yeah, because that's I mean, maybe that's it too. Is like because there's there's a famous scene where I think Patrick Swayze actually rips out a guy's throat with his hand, like he's he gets in a fight with a bad guy, and he finishes the fight by grabbing his throat and supposedly like ripping it out. Wow. And so maybe it's like that kind of stuff that kind of propels a movie from serious and normal into just wackadoodle bizarro mm-hmm. cult movie status yeah so well and there we're are, gonna have to put a rating on this episode yeah <laughs> there are other movies that i um and again I, I think they're too popular but i just heard them quoted so much i i it's just like the they just never died they continue to live a life yeah. through word of mouth comments and right. mouth quotes just of people sharing their favorite lines and one of them is mean girls and one's clueless um yeah you know, i yeah. i know that they're not cult films but like man they are you know stop trying to make fetch happen you know there's just so uh-huh. many little lines that people have in those movies and i mean i feel like clueless almost invented a new uh or at least popularized the, the whole valley girl talk value girl way of speaking you know as yeah. if and whatever and uh so those are those are two others i always wanted uhf to become a cult classic but i don't think it became popular enough i i loved it as a kid i thought it was hilarious and so it so totally it can't be bombed. too popular but it has to have a minimum threshold of popularity <laughs> well i think it does and maybe there's enough just weird owl freaks out there like me that that think the movie is just underappreciated and, and, you know, underrated Uh um, because it it was, it was widely panned by critics and it didn't do too well. I mean, it was going up against uh, some other, you know, big 89 movies like Batman and last crusade, but um, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was a fun one. A lot of, a lot of cool little references to movies and well, like Indiana Jones and Rambo Uh and things like that. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to think. So about. here's, here's one. I would almost, I would almost make this a, well, so this might be more like UHF because I don't think that there's a devoted following for this movie, but I kind of think that there should be is the Transformers, the movie, not the Michael Bay movies, but the original animated feature that came out about 85, 86, something like that. Do you, are you familiar with this at all? I don't. Did you I'm know not, that this movie existed? I didn't even know it existed. So, so are you going to care if I give away some key aspects of this movie? Because you, you it's could, hilarious. You could spoil the ending. Okay. So, so audience be warned i'm going to tell you perhaps more about transformers the movie than you would want to know if you still intend to see it so we all know 
the story of Transformers, right? They, it was the, the toys and the TV show, and there's the, you know, Megatron and the Decepticons are fighting against Optimus Prime and the Autobots, right? Mm-hmm. And this goes on for a couple of years, and these things are just huge, you know, and just really, really cool, creative, innovative toys and all this. And so a movie comes out, and it's an animated movie. It's feature length. Got to go see it at the theater. And so I must have been, I can't remember if I was in the third or fourth grade when this happened, but I will never forget coming back to school at like the weekend after it opened and all my friends were just beside themselves because they said, oh my gosh, Optimus Prime dies and like, and Jazz dies and Soundwave dies and like they just start naming off all of these characters that are killed in the movie right and which was kind of a big deal because you know even in Star Wars they didn't really kill off the main characters and so this animated movie we'd all been excited to see and for whatever reason I didn't see it the weekend it came out all these characters got killed off and what I realized in retrospect was that this movie was the company's way to introduce a brand new line of toys because all of the characters that die in the movie are like resurrected or reborn as new, more advanced characters. There's like Hot Rod and mm. and uh, like like Megatron is reborn as some other character. And I just realized that it was really just this marketing ploy, this 90 to 120 minute commercial for all of the new Transformers that now that the old ones are all dead, the kids have to go get the new ones. And so they're going to go convince their parents that, well, I can't play with Optimus Prime anymore because he's dead. So now we've got to go get this other one. And just such a funny, but the movie itself, you know, it was pretty good. There was a, I seem to remember another infamous thing about it because I think it had some mild profanity. Like it's it's a it's a PG movie, but we were we were kind of baffled because there, were, there I think there were a couple of PG level uh, swear words, which was kind of kind of edgy when we were in the third or fourth grade. Um, but that one, like I said, I mean I think it's completely forgotten. You know, I I, I don't think people even really realized that there were that there was a Transformers movie before the Michael Bay stuff um, but I, I do have a DVD version in, in my cult collection so so Mark if you want to check it out I mean now that you know that half the cast dies it might it might the suspense might have been compromised but it is available to you just so you know well this is really funny to me I just looked it up and <laughs> did you look it up well listen to the voices well and Orson Welles is in it right Orson Welles is it's his final film role but also <laughs> Eric right. Idle Judd Nelson Leonard Nimoy Casey Kasem <laughs> Robert Stack Casey Kasem. brothers <laughs> and it has the uh, this music of Vince Dicola Stan Bush and Weird Al Yankovic Hey, um, well, now you got to see it. Oh, that's you're so obligated. Funny. So, so we're going to have to get together and we're going to have to watch Joe versus the volcano and transformers. The movie we will do a double feature. We'll get some pizza. Maybe, maybe we'll record a commentary and put it out as a, as a bonus 
podcast. You just gave me a look through Zoom that suggests that you are not interested in this idea. <laughs> no, I was still reading. Sorry, I was still reading. I was reading this uh, plot. Pl- I shouldn't have done that. But I was reading about Transformers the movie. Yeah, it sounds really funny. Um, I mean, unintentionally funny is just... Oh, yeah. That's one of the fun things is when you can find a movie that's... Even if it's a comedy, but it's even funnier than it was meant to be, but not for reasons the makers intended, maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, or a movie that's supposed to be dramatic, but it's just funny. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. That might qualify. Wow. I don't know, man. Now that now that we know Weird Al Yankovic is involved in the Transformers movie, I think you're on the hook. I mean, maybe. Because if you don't yeah. see it, now I don't really think that you can call yourself a, a real fan. Weird Al fan. That's nah, that's too bad. <laughs> I mean, ugh. Well, you really don't want to see that movie, do you? <laughs> I do, it's just, I wouldn't mind seeing it. It's just that I have like, you know, at least three to 700 movies uh, ahead of that on the list. <laughs> so. Only uh, 700. <laughs> um, yeah. I just realized. Well, I'm still I'm still gonna nag you about Joe versus the volcano. Yeah, I'll 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 see it again. I mean, I'm 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 up for that, and definitely, I like. Are you giving me an assignment? I I I think I did. I don't remember what it was. I'll have to follow up. But um, I like that this is episode 51 too. Then we're talking about cult following cult movies because Area 51. Ooh, right. I mean that there are people who live their life believing in area 51 um and Very some of these insightful. some of these cult movies are alien based or uh, you know mm-hmm. about aliens or mm-hmm. otherworldly uh, happenings definitely um, definitely well that that seems like a whole discussion that we could have another podcast episode about mm-hmm. is talk about our favorite alien movies favorite did you did you see fire in the sky yes yep yeah was pretty intense as i recall that was one that was one of those movies that was it was pg-13 but it was pretty intense it was so so we kind of felt like because it came out when i was a teenager right and so i remember thinking wow this is this is kind of a heavy movie for for a youngster such as i Mm mm-hmm yeah it was scary i mean it was it was meant to be a real like a dramatic recreation of somebody's story of claiming what they really happened um claiming what really happened to them and so it's not like you know played for laughs or it's not straight up sci-fi i mean it's supposed to be what happened to this guy in uh, just like cocaine bear yeah well (laughs) i mean the real cocaine bear didn't kill anyone pablo escobar just overdosed on cocaine and died and uh i think in the movie it's just a slasher flick with a bear right so Um, the real story would have been an oscar-winning short but instead (laughs) instead we got 90 minutes of cocaine bear the the man eater (laughs) Mm -hmm. oh dear oh dear well, you know, it's February. I guess we can't. If uh, if you don't feel like seeing Quantum Mania, now you got Cocaine Bear as an option. And I think you're going to have Qu- uh, Creed three pretty soon here. I think that one's coming out another week, and we got uh, we got Shazam coming up, and so there's there's more stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
yeah i mean if you if you want to get in out of the weather and want to go out to the theater and see something i can promise that you will not forget your experience seeing cocaine bear no matter how that's hard probably you, the, you try <laughs> that's, that's probably the best way i can put it that's probably the best way i can put it thank you so much for spending your time with us for uh hearing out this latest episode episode number 51 as mark pointed out of the utah film pod uh please give us a positive rating or a follow or a subscription or a like or whatever is available to you wherever you're at and uh take good care of yourself and be excellent to each other and all that good stuff and we'll talk to you soon 